Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Mulecast. Good evening. Good evening. Coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk uh, about the good things and the bad things that came out of Ireland's uh, victory over a surprisingly difficult to play Argentinian team, although one who we feel have a lot going for them. We're going to look at how silly England's team are in, in their defeat to All Blacks, and then we're going to look at how we're going to take on the All Blacks. Dementimo versus the All Blacks. But first, Ireland played Argentina at the weekend in what was a, a much more exciting game than I think any of us anticipated, um, where Ireland had um, a lot of trouble, not not just at lineouts, but uh, at some of their other restarts, but their scrum was uh, rock solid. Uh, given we have such depth at second row, um, what do you think the outcome will be of that uh, that issue? Yeah, good pointed question. Um I think to give you a, an immediate answer, I think that Dev will return to the starting lineup. Um, I think Ian Henderson won't be dropped entirely. I actually thought Andrew did a lot of things really well in the game. Uh, so I think that he will go to the uh, number 19 jersey, second row sub. James Ryan, obviously man the match, um, will, will clearly retain his jersey. Um but the, as we as we briefly mentioned earlier, the, the line out is is even a skill, and when it goes wrong, there's there's plenty of blame to go around. And what about? I mean, it's an overlooked uh, set piece in the game. The restart, we were fairly chaotic on. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we had a brief discussion on that uh, directly after the game, actually. Yeah, I. The Argentinian restarts are really good and ours are really bad. <laughs> that was my succinct impression of it. The aim two at Hendy, uh, he missed them both. He wasn't in the right place. Uh, Earls went up for it, but I mean, I think as a winger, he, he was in a covering position. Um, and who was in it was Delgui, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Got his hands on one. But he got his hands on both. He knocked on one of them. Um, they're really, really good restarts. But it's concerning. And it's one of these things that you see Toner doing and um, to paraphrase the scrum, it, it's just a way to restart the game. Um, and he, he does it very matter-of-factly, and then Conor Murray kicks the box kick up in the air, and then we contest on sort of the halfway line and, you know, ad nauseum, um, particularly watching Ireland play Italy. When you see it go wrong, it makes you appreciate the, uh, the mundane efficiency that uh, a set-piece maestro lends to a team. Um, we uh, saw the Argentinians um, have a very good defensive line out and it was something you had highlighted last week that you expected them to have and they played um, effectively um, three second rows on the on the team with um, who was playing at number six of them? Lavanini? Petty. 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 Lavanini was in the second row. Lavanini was in the second row. Uh, and we saw uh, similarly 
Scott Barrett came on for Liam Squire uh, in the second half in Twickenham and was part of a much improved uh, New Zealand lineup, which was crucial to them resting control of that game. Um, while I don't think Peter O'Mahony will be dropped, I think that 19 jersey is going to be very interesting to see. Do you think there's any chance Tyke Byrne will, yeah, will get there's it? A, there's a chance, absolutely there's a chance. Um, I, I thought that the Argentine... That, that middle row of theirs, I thought Lavanini was very close to being man of the match from where, where I saw it. When, uh, I was at the game, and when I rewatched it, he wasn't quite as prominent as uh, as I thought he had been, uh, because I thought at the game that he was standout player in the pitch, and Ryan obviously had a had a belter. Um, but Lavanini is uh, he's an incredible specimen. He's a huge man. He looks like he'd actually make make two of James Ryan. He's just such a big dude. He's well over twenty stone at six foot seven and a half, and um, he ragdolled a couple of our players. He got a, a couple of huge hits on him himself. Nalaman, his second row partner, almost killed uh, Tyg Furlong at one stage, about halfway through the second half, and a number of like, maybe four minutes after that. He, uh, he got his hands on CJ Stander and just ragdolled him. And in the build-up to Aki's try, he went through Marmion. Oh, absolutely. Properly true. through it. Like, like you got through like a really well-hit penalty or a really well-hit golf drive. Like yeah. Just I, didn't expect, I didn't expect Marmion to continue after that. Yeah. It looked like... Um, like he was just he was just done to like, and Lavanini was way. excellent in the quarter-final of the World Cup, but he was smaller. And he was um, he was much lower tackling. He did a load of chop tackles and borderline. I thought they were fine, really. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it's something that's being clamped down on. But his tackling technique is great, and I think as importantly, more importantly, he loves contact. Yeah. He, he's just a he's a hard bastard. Plus, he's enormous. Like it, he's 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 a wonderful second row. Yeah, and it was, that was one of the things which I took. Um, there's, a, there's quite a lot of negativity about the Irish win, but one of the things which I I took from that game was that. While the uh, while they were missing Figajo and especially uh, Herrero, that bull on the tight head side, um, they had a lot of seriously physical players in there: Petty Matera, Lavanini, Alaman, Cravey. And one of the things about the 2015 quarterfinal loss was that we got absolutely bossed in contact. You know, most people remember the Argentines scoring the early tries on the wide wider channels, but for 80 minutes, we lost contacts in the middle of the pitch. Yeah. And in this game, we, it's not like we bossed them around, you know, but we were very, very capable of uh, standing our own ground, getting over it again. It was much more 60 40 in our favor. And in, in, the, in the quarterfinal, it was, it was like 30 70 at best. You know, they, they control the collisions there. So they have some ferocious... Matera was cut out for two tries, but is an absolute... He's a, another, you know, incredible athlete, incredible specimen. So the, if I, we, we talked about it briefly in that if we were Argentines, uh, I think Ledesma would be the happier of the two coaches. I certainly, we were going through um, the Argentinian guys who play in Europe that they'll bring to the World Cup. So they've obviously tried to promote staying in Argentina and being part of the Haguars uh, as much as possible in order to, well, I say in order to, 
get some rest but I mean they have to fly all over the southern hemisphere so I'm not sure how much rest they get but at least it gives them a defined season but they'll bring Fagaggio they'll they'll bring Herrera they'll bring Facundo Bosch to the World Cup so Facundo Bosch is the Agen hooker who's going to La Rochelle mm. who's the best hooker in the top 14 last year um, they'll Isa the the back row from Toulon he'll be involved and then I'd say Imhoff maybe Cordero I don't know if they'll go for Cordero which is you know a lot of guys I don't know if even if they go for Imhoff but he, he either one of those guys is a possibility um, and Sanchez is going to staff for say but they'll pick him so there's I think it's important with the front row guys because the scrum Ireland did very well and it was it's it's probably unusual in the contest between the countries but like Argentina have the players to remedy that in an instant mm-hmm well, considering that um, a lot of my focus and a lot of think of the focus in general uh, after the game was on how poor Ireland did, and you just said that Argentina are a good side, and and, and they're Ireland ninth in the beat world them by more than a score. What did we do well? Luke McGrath. Um, I I'm not Luke McGrath's biggest fan, but I remember particularly going to watch uh, watch them train and. What really struck me was like the confidence that Luke McGrath has in himself, like that self belief. And I heard it, and I can't remember if we talked about it last week on the podcast, but I was listening to another podcast, and uh, Peter Laurie was talking about tour players who had done the best of their ability. And he talked about Ian Poulter being the current, and he just goes like, Ian Poulter's level of self belief is phenomenal. It's it's the difference between being like a, a top class Ryder Cup player and playing on the Alps tour given the ability that he has and it's a really hard thing to quantify <laughs> or even qualify because you kind of go but like surely they're good like surely they they have this ability and Luke Luke McGrath for all of, like he's so competitive and he just chased up and he made that tackle that nailed the Argentinian guys back and then he scored the try and he wasn't brought to Australia he didn't go so but mm. I mean he went in there and it was like he should have been captain did you like, think he made that big a, a difference I didn't think that Marmion played badly but I just thought that Marmion's energy level had gone and I thought that Ireland needed to change something up and Luke McGrath came on and he was a little jack-in-the-box and for a game that had gone back and forward his his chase in the middle because it wasn't easy like the Argentinian guys I think had three fellas who were possibilities to run that back and McGrath managed to he was he was running so furiously which which didn't really you couldn't see it when he came into the shot it just looked you couldn't see how hard he started running in the first 20 to 30 metres of that chase and how far he had to run like how and he was on his own he, he was just leading the charge there wasn't any sort of consideration about it and I, I just thought that that tackle changed the entire match and then he scored that try and my big criticism of Luke McGrath is that he doesn't play with his head up like he goes into every phase knowing what he's going to do off the bottom of it and no matter what's in front of him he just goes and does it his pass is good his kick is good his tackling is good like a lot of his individual pieces are good but as a top level scrum half Conor Murray Conor Murray's decision making is uncanny. It's, it's like Floyd Mayweather. It's it that he's able to change it mm. at an elite level at the blink of an eye. So it's an invidious situation for all the guys who are trying to compete against Conor Murray that 
they're just never going to be as good as him. Um, but Luke McGrath put himself from a guy who didn't go on the plane when everyone was fit. He's Ireland's number two. Now he mightn't start. Like Kieran Marmion might start, but Luke McGrath would be on the bench. I would. Well, if I was picking the team, uh, yeah. I- I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I thought McGrath was really good when he came on, um, and it, it what you're saying makes an awful lot of sense. And that it did his he was sort of key in a number of um, a number of the sort of big episodes that went from it being a tight game to us stretching out uh, into a, a double figures lead or well, sorry, an eight point lead first. Um, how did how did we? get ahead of them and it was you know it was a tight game for a awful lot of the game uh, they led for a reasonable amount for maybe by one score uh, tops but they did lead um, I think that the Argentinians and I go back to the Haguars, um I don't think they expected to win that match I don't think they planned to win that match I don't think they actually planned to play past 60 minutes I think they wanted to give Ireland a good match they're not going to be heartbroken if they win. They only pick their team from one set of players. Mm. So it's like playing Leinster. Like they're really good, but you're missing the another six or seven players uh, or eight players or nine players who are competing in that squad who make a difference. Mm. Um, where, you know, go back to the names listed of the guys who are playing in Europe. If those guys come on, they're much, much stronger. Mm. Um, and Ireland are... Our really, baseline level is really high. Really well drilled. Yeah. Really cohesive. Like, you see Johnny Sexton making that kick. Like, Johnny Sexton made one terrible kick. And it was so anomalous because he's played at such a high level for four years, five years. So, like, since he came back from Paris. Jeez, and he was good when he was in Paris. We won two championships with him. So, seven years. Mm. He's, a, he's like he's the world player nominee. He's, sorry, he's player of the world. He's international player of the year nominee. And I understand. I didn't see how much Reiko Yamani. I understand he had two. He's had two phenomenal seasons. Bowden Barris gone for three in a row. The the Safa guys played well in certain matches, but like I couldn't have Faftaclerk ahead of Johnny Sexton. I can't even have Faftaclerk. This is just a brief tangent. So was there? I don't even understand how Faftaclerk is ahead of Conor Murray on this. The basis of this season. No. So uh, so Ireland's baseline level were really well coached. Um, and we've we're, quite we're a coherent difficult. team. We're difficult to beat. Really, uh, like at home, we've won ten in a row at home. But I think to go back to Luke McGrath, th- like the scale of international matches is so much bigger than anything you play for, and guys that have played well. So I'll use Will Addison. And I saw uh, Francis refer to him as a decent provincial player. And you see, when you've played, I think when guys have played international rugby, that sounds really patronising. Um, but I, th- I thought it was really accurate because at any level, you see guys who might play like seconds team and then play club rugby at first team or who play first team and then play at Interpro. And like they're at a level. And generally that level is to do with athleticism and, and just size. Like, I mean, Will Addison gainfully kicked all of our restarts and we kept on kicking them. I don't know why we kept them doing the same kick. And they patently didn't work. Now, I understand that we practiced those all week, but I assume we practiced those all week for Robbie Henshaw to chase. Yeah. There is a world of difference in Robbie Henshaw chasing a kick and Will Addison chasing a kick. Robbie Henshaw is a test match animal. Will Addison is a test match debutante. 
and like Robbie Henshaw is a beast and Will Addison is a competent provincial player but uh, he didn't get he didn't get a touch of he didn't get like, like the RG's re, re, regathered all of us yeah or like say or say Roberts now like I mean so you bring about Henshaw and Robert Kearney into chasing those kicks they're viable I thought I thought Addison did some things really well and he I think for really a well. guy who, who came in at the last uh, at the last moment um you know, he had one terribly glaring missed tackle and I conceded a line break in the first half. Otherwise, I felt he defended reasonably well. And in attack, he's he's really he's really competent. You know, a, a decent provincial player, but he showed no problems in, in stepping into the side at short notice um, and and holding up his end. You know, he's it's, it's interesting to look at because uh, from what we... The evidence of of the game against Argentina, uh, Larmer's educational fullback has a long way to go. Mm. That he's still he's still, you know, it's it's an it's at an elementary stage yet. Like I really like letting the ball bounce in your dead ball area is elementary fullback. Yeah, that didn't stuff. look good. And I suppose I I thought about Addison. Um, and he, he wasn't at fault for anything he was just chasing kickoffs and we didn't get them back but I thought about him because we emphasised in our discussion last week um, Chris Henry and I was very interested in Chris Henry because I viewed him as a sort of an everyman who who had this injury free run at his most experience at his fittest when he was Ireland's first choice open side mm. and he was never going to be a guy that nailed down like the jersey for four or five seasons. Yeah. Um, but the fact was, he wasn't an everyman. Like, he was miles better than all the guys he played with underage uh, at, at a rep level. So, like, all these guys who make it up, like, Will Addison is a really good player, but it's just that to make it up to international level, you, you need everything. It's... And your frailties are exposed. And I think that, you know, when... We're in a podcast and we're discussing players' shortcomings, and I don't think we're wrong. But it, it, it's just that, like, to get up to international level is really hard. And I think it's it's one of the things that puts pressure on a coach is that, like, can you lose these matches? Can you? How much can you experiment in these matches? Because the guys that are the guys that he picks are guys that have done it. Like he went back to the Sean O'Brien well, and we talked about it again last week because. He really wanted to see if Shawnee could produce because he has the belief. Because Shawnee has produced. Shawnee's produced so often in, in so many big games. But then Levy came on and he produced. I thought he was excellent. Yeah, I thought he was, <clears throat> I thought he was better than Sean O'Brien. Um, I think it's un, un, uncontroversially he was better than Sean O'Brien. No, I, think, I, I think he's brilliant and has only just been, had little minor injuries that have sort of removed him from the spotlight for the start of this season um, after being asking you to say something positive about the Irish team um, what do you think about the weaknesses where uh, Argentina seemed to run be able to run through the middle of us a couple of times with a nice little inside pass and then uh, in attack ourselves we didn't have that kind of penetration well, we and I found I, well just to finish I found Bundiaki made yards running across the pitch um, and uh, both our wingers really failed to have any impact on the game it's a centre combination that never played together um, 
and probably hadn't even trained much together because Addison was such a late uh, scratch. With the wingers not getting involved, I have less uh, sympathy for that. Uh, you know, uh, Keith Earls is 10 professional season, season yeah, 70 caps. Like, he knows enough. He knows enough about his position that when he can come looking for the ball and when he can't come looking for the ball, where he needs to be. So I felt I felt it just wasn't a... Yeah. So he went in the Lions Tour 2009, not 2001. Yeah, yeah. 10 seasons ago, yeah. You know, so I felt I felt that was, a, that was a game in which he sort of, I wouldn't say intentionally let him pass it by, but he didn't do enough to get himself involved. Mm-hmm. And... That is what it is. Like Keith Earls has become uh, like his last season was so good. Yeah, and that's two seasons are so good. But it, it, his last game wasn't. Um, Stockdale is, you know, similarly didn't get himself involved enough in a very different situation to Earls. And to a lot of extent, Stockdale is is still learning the ropes. There's another issue there in that. With Larmer being a debutante at fullback, I didn't think he got any help from either of the more experienced players in the back three, either in attack or defence. You know, the linking with Larmer wasn't good. We've seen how Larmer is actually well capable of linking. Um, obviously, against Toulouse, he ran into a blind alley once or twice. But in previous games, he's linked extremely well with James Lowe. Again, there's something to do with familiarity there, playing more regularly. But it didn't work. Sexton didn't play well. So, you know, you've got a lot of players there who hadn't played together or just didn't play well. Um, in terms of leaking defence, uh, sorry, uh, in terms of leaking line breaks through the middle of our defence, I would say it's very similar. And between Addison and Bundiaki, there's, there's no understanding. Yeah, and probably that's to do with... <laughs> I don't really want to criticise Bundy but you know Brakes came down his channel he ran across a bit I thought he gave his great go forward ball uh, I thought he took his try I thought he played really well I thought he was our best back yeah um, yeah I agree and that communication coming from the outside um, you know the, the shouting to, to stay straight like stay in your lane like does that have to come from the outside I just think from uh, with really good really experienced players it does come yeah. that that direction comes whether you want it or not and uh, it's it, you just accept it you know um, you probably shout back but like I go back to the football like you know uh, shout back Bruce, behind your hand Bruce and Pallister not like Bruce and Pallister just roaring at each other but having that comfort um, that that's the way they communicate it um, so I thought James Ryan played superbly Always seem to make ground after the first hit. Um, Two knock-ons. The bad performance. Didn't see them. <laughs> Didn't see them. He caught one of those passes that he catches when he takes a short pop, when somebody just fires it in his general direction, and he knows the line, and he held on to it, and he made ground, and he kept on showing up. He's, I mean, geez, himself and Lavinini will be some oh, pairing. Perfect pairing. Yeah. He goes. He goes head to head with Retallick, and that'd be an even better second row pairing. Well, maybe we'll talk about him a little bit later on. Um, another concern, just say it in, in general, uh, and maybe flared up by the game. I thought some of the problems from the lineout came uh, quite specifically from the throws 
even the ones we did take and the one that James Ryan knocked on, which they, I think they only, they only interrupted two altogether, but the ones we did take, a lot of the catches were quite low down when the lift was good. And uh, Bessie's, how many games has he played this season? Not many. Um, he's also... Uh, like nobody is getting any younger <laughs> but nobody uh, in the world the World Cup is still another year away and um, what's the question if we put all the are we putting all the eggs in Bessie's basket do you think he'll make it I want him to make it based on recent evidence I would say no I agree I, I really would like him to be able to pull out a great season in the way that Trico did in his last season, but um, it can. The other thing, and we've talked about before, is it can go south very quickly when you're when you're over thirty five and you're a forward. We saw John Hayes last season. Um, it's just all of a sudden he wasn't able to do any of the John Hayes stuff anymore. And Bessie, some of Bessie's thrown. Bessie's always like like any hooker. Practically every hooker gets accused of being shit at throwing at some stage in his career. Um, Bessie's had a couple of wobbles before. Not these weren't all his fault, but it's more to do with how much how much is he getting done around the pitch? Um, because work rate and physical. Well, I don't doubt his physical toughness ever. He's one of the toughest guys to have played rugby. I think if we're in the pro era, but it's the ability to, to get over the gain line. The ability to get on the ball and do something productive with it. The ability to get up off the ground after making tackles quickly. The ability to win contacts. Yeah. And yeah. jackal and steal. Like yeah. That's what Bestie was brilliant at. Like slowing ball down, stealing ball, turning over. Yeah, especially being slowing in, it. Being in the right place. Like How often did you see him do that as, as hooker? And none of it was there at the weekend. It, it's, it's sad because you're, I really, really want to see him make it because he's a super captain for us yeah he's a really important captain uh, I I get the impression that everybody everybody in the entire squad really rates Bessie's captain and likes playing under him as captain and would miss him from the team if he wasn't there but you know the, the dynamic of any workforce or any work team is that you're not blind like you know if somebody's not doing their job as well as they used to you know, isn't that, isn't that true? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's always this element of pro rugby is where it's like, it's a sport and it's a job. Um, perhaps we could see him playing more of a 50-minute role than this season rather than a 60-minute role. I, you see, that you go back to, I really hope that's... Like Sean Cronin is playing really well and John Cronin plays really well off the bench. He's he's a great impact sub to come on because he's so fast. And at this stage, he's got so much experience that he's, he's at the peak of his powers. Last season was his best season. Um, but, you know, there's question marks over Crow's scrummaging, which is really hard to tell from the... Uh, they seem to have surfaced last year, but, you know, it seems to be a thing. It's really hard to tell from the sideline. Um there's always been doubts about his throwing in, that it's never been razor sharp. So, like, Niall Scannell would be the most like-for-like replacement. In yeah, terms he's of a leader- big body. Leadership, he's a big bloke, he's a good captain, he's played a number of seasons, first-team rugby. It's a huge call to 
drop bestie. And it's it's the tyranny of the World Cup. It, it, it becomes such a focus. Like, it's really hard to read any article about Ireland without the mentioned semi-final. Yeah. And, it, like, it's just become this constantly repeated... Uh, like, if we, if we lose the semi-final, we'll all be devastated. You know? Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I, I, I was... So, so what? Seeing in conversation after the Argentina game, it's like, oh, Graham, we can't play Argentina in the World Cup until the final... I was like, yeah, sure. If we lose the World Cup final to Argentina, we'll all be we'll all be gutted as well, and be like, Argentina, that was our chance to win the World Cup. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I I think um, just to spin off on a little side point, another topic that has been interesting me for uh, the last week, especially in light of the RTE coverage, which I ended up watching, having not gone to the game, which I thought was miserablest. Uh, in particular from Darrow Breen and uh, Eddie O'Sullivan um, there's this kind of I, I think it's uh, the the quality of this Irish team is completely taken for granted uh, we had a brief conversation off mic where I had said this is the best Irish team of all time and one of the best Irish sports teams of all time and we you made a comparison with 2009 we thought that Sort of like there was higher natural talent levels in two thousand and nine, but the coaching is so much better now. But I just think that there's there's this team has you've just seen like the best year of Irish rugby results ever, um, and you saw coverage if you watch the game on RT rather than Channel Four on on Saturday, where it was just people pissing and moaning because they didn't show any of the good stuff. Yeah, well, I think that RT's coverage at the moment is extremely unfocused and secondhand, and they don't really know what they're doing with it anymore. They came from a particularly strong base where the guy who was the head of RT Sport was commentating on the games. They had a panel of three old fogies who all liked working with each other and had it. They had a chemistry. Hmm. They I don't did. think they liked working. I think they said that they didn't necessarily get on with each other, but they had a chemistry. They had a chemistry. Well, okay, yeah, you're actually right. Actually. Now, that, now that I remember certain interviews. I don't want to limit the focus to RTE. I, should, I just wanted to moan about them there a little bit. Just in general, that like the, the, the only way this, this squad will be viewed as a success is if they beat South Africa in a quarterfinal of the World Cup. They won a grand slam. But it, it doesn't seem to appease people. No, I think there's a general... Um, I think there's a general mood in Irish rugby of things get taken for granted very quickly rather than... Uh, I don't know where it comes from. You know, this, uh, I think there's a sort of next weird next play-up mentality when you're not involved in playing. That's like, have to concentrate on the next one. That's what Joe would want. You yeah, you're a fan. <laughs> Get to enjoy it. Like, the players have to concentrate on the next one. Um, that's always been, I, I always sort of regard it as a fake Roy Keenism of a determinedly miserable um, soul, like a tunnel visioned focus, which I think is appropriate for certain players and certainly people of a particular mindset. But it is a superb team. I think the team is brilliantly coach when, when we've talked about the talent levels or depth levels it's not that this team is is like less i think it's very difficult to measure talent but there have been other really talented irish teams and irish squads like if you look at our 
the squads that we generally send to World Cups, they're full of talent. Uh, but I think that this this team is just f- it's really well coached, yeah. brilliantly coached. I think we've got like, for example, two, three, four players now who've all played outside centre. Three of whom I think are definitely test level. And Will Allison, who's been dropped in there. Chris Farrell played outside centre Robbie Henshaw played outside centre and Guy Ringo's played mm. outside centre and like a few years ago we were going like oh jeez we don't you know who will we replace O'Driscoll with that's true Jordan Larmer yeah. could play there I mean he's very green in the Irish jersey it looks like at the moment but he's definitely like being picked as a guy who can no, you see that, that didn't he come on there against England that idea is Jordan yeah. Larmer could uh, play there he, yeah, he did, did yeah. Yeah. yeah he did but he hasn't you know um so that to me is it's well, a yeah, sort sorry, of it's a, a sort a, of a, yeah. argument that people are making. He could do this, he could do that. Yeah, but he hasn't. Yeah. You know, I think if you don't, but the guys watch, who have, you know, I, I think I think if you don't watch the matches in RT because I didn't see the coverage, I uh, recorded in Channel Four and then just fast forwarded through all the chat anyway. I went to the match, so I didn't see any of the coverage. And like Eddie O'Sullivan, just like he's he will forever be in two thousand and six which is just further and further away. Like his, Great for point. as much as, as Eddie knows about rugby, his, like his high point of rugby will always be 2006. Um, and Daryl Breen is, like Orti have made a few appointments. Orti treated the, the Pro 12 uh, like dirt when, when they were broadcasters. And uh, it was only the league. And you're there going, you're meant to be selling this. Like you're meant to be broadcasting it. You are broadcasting it. But like this is your product. You're meant to be selling it. Um, it was better watching the matches in TG Carroll when you didn't even understand what was going on because you like kick more Lorna Parker yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the show <laughs> and then Marcus oh, cut, cut to Marcus but you know anyway s- such as it is if you don't listen to it you, you don't see it so I, I what can you what can okay, you say well let's, let's, let's make some I'll, I'll just get you to make some snap calls when I call out the position or two alternate players okay Fingers on buzzers. For the Irish team, number eight. Conan. Conan. Ooh. Uh, number nine. Luke McGrath. Marmion. Number 15. Rob Kearney. Say it again. Dave, Dave Kearney. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Kearney. And uh, then I guess number, uh, number, number seven. Dan Levy. And number... Well, alternate players. Uh, Van der Fleer. And number 20, who? If you, number 20. Good back question. Row, so what we Ooh. Good question. Tigburn for me. I think Peter Romani can play seven at a push if there's an injury early in the game. Yeah. Okay. Tigburn. Tigburn. So have Tigburn and Hendo on the bench. Yeah. A lot of beef. Get your best players. I like the power of that. Just one thing I'd say about this, uh, why I would select that way. For I know it was a, a statement which was always looked on with uh, sceptical eyes when, when Declan Guinea said, oh, we know what he can do about a player who he had dropped. But there, I absolutely think that at the moment with CJ Standard that we know what he can do. And, you know, with Jamie Heasup's retirement, we are skinny at number eight and CJ Stander is as brave as a lion and, and we just keep on going and running into people for as much as they can but he's playing like he's playing like a third prop at the moment he's running into people all the time and he's not making 
he's not using footwork, he's not making line breaks, he's not even making that many meters. So you just want to see if we have somebody else who can who can do something a little bit different. Yeah, um, this is and the, this is the tyranny of the World Cup again, and it's it's almost waiting for injury to be your best selector. And like CJ's played like that since the Lions tour. Yeah, including the Lions tour, he's including played, yeah, he's played like that for a long time. Compared to how dynamic he was when he first started playing for Munster, now he's. He's playing in a different standard of matches than playing, you know, sort of mid-season Pro 14 matches or Pro 12 as it was. Um, and he's unquestionably courageous enough and tough enough to to play international rugby. And, but like, he's just running to the legs and the stumps. Saint-André going in like a wildcat. They don't build him like that anymore. Referee blows for half time. In the pissing rain, in like the the worst kind of Twickenham, like which I think is <laughs> the day in before an old neutral Welsh <laughs> international. <laughs> no, it's the Quilters International now. Um, but like full poppy regalia Twickenham, um, full Will Greenwood spoken introduction Twickenham. Uh, full swing low sweet chariot over the hack at Twickenham yeah full swing low sweet chariot over the hack at Twickenham their slave song um, England blew it against uh, New Zealand and simultaneously were kind of robbed although Cornelius was definitely offside um, what do you think we can take from this game I asked, I asked last week about where England going and were they going anywhere in particular but what do you think we can take from this game where they should have beaten New Zealand? That England are difficult to beat in Twickenham. Um, almost imponderably difficult. I think it's a really intimidating ground to play. And I think when you hear the, the swing low and you talk about the confidence, there's, there's something about the English rugby crowd descending on Twickenham um, that I think cows... The colonies, we keep on going back to this uh, post-colonial um, way that New Zealand play in their shells. And like it, it's it's so tangential, it's so amorphous. Like, how can you put anything around? Well, where I would be concerned if I was an English rugby supporter. Like, 15-0 up at home and you contrive to lose that match. I thought that all the strengths of Eddie Jones and all the strengths of English rugby were on display for the first 20 minutes and they were witless with the exception of Owen Farrell for the remainder of the match. Like they just, like you said, blew it. They, like they absolutely blew it. Because um, the New Zealanders were dreadful in the first half. If you give yourself a 15-point like start. You're 15, yeah. Like you're 15 points up and you've demonstrated that if you play a certain way against them, that um, they're only human, Bill, that you can absolutely stuff them. But England didn't show any capacity to adopt on the hoof, but they didn't even show that they'd thought of three different ways to play against the Kiwis and how they were going to change it at different times of the match. They went out, they knew how they were going to play the 20 minutes, and it was really effective. It was as effective as it possibly could be, and they just didn't know what to do with it afterwards. They're in a really tough World Cup pool, they're obviously England. Like mm-hmm. they have the ability, but sure, they went out in the first round of the last World Cup in a really tough World Cup, though, and they were playing at home. 
Um, we talked about Ledesma. Like, if I were Argentinian or English, I would I would rather be Argentinian, based on the displays of the last weekend. I agree. You know, I think um, Argentina have more to look forward to. While they're both missing a significant number of really good players. Um, and Argentina are missing theirs because they don't pick them. England are missing theirs because they're broken. Yeah. Um, I, f- I felt from if you were looking at, at it from the New Zealand side, they got out of jail and they won't play that badly next week. Well, this coming week. Um, they're really poor. They were just poor. Like they're, the Ashton try. It's like their their defense, their the slowness they had in getting around the back of the rock and lining up correctly within the first five minutes of the game just spoke of that spoke of that sort of strange leaden footage you get from that has nothing to do with physical tiredness. It's a strange, undercooked, over nervous uh, feeling that you see some teams have in finals like Munster in the in the semi final against Racing. They just the team just does something that is there's a stress point there which you never knew existed. And funny enough, and it just the, breaks down. They showed a really good the, the end of the pitch replay for mm-hmm. that, and how the that was just a move where the whole English team pulled left, except for the two the, all the three players who touched the ball, mm-hmm. and Mackenzie got pulled out of position, and Ashton's a brilliant finisher, it's a great pass. Mm. So it was, it, I felt it was a bit more well constructed than just. They got sucked in because England were pumping it up the middle, and then they went wide very quickly. So there was a little bit more art to it, but there was no there was no subsequent art from England, and they kicked a penalty to the corner, in a like in a in a one score game. That was just mind blowingly stupid. Yeah, yeah, that's their problem. <laughs> that, like, okay, they did well for twenty. They did extremely well for twenty minutes, um, and there was. a there was a an article just before the the match, and it was talking about um, Gatland. Gatland wanted what wanted the Lions to play like England against New Zealand. Who? Uh, where was this? It was, was it? on the it was on the forty two. I think it was no. Sorry, no. It was it was sorry. It was Warburton talking to the Times, so I didn't read it because it was behind a paywall. Just read the headline. But the teams who beat New Zealand don't play anything like England. We outgunned them South Africa outgunned them and they're the only teams who beat them the, that was a conversation on, on uh, the second captain's podcast today was uh, Mato uh, was talking about how you have to score four or five tries to beat yeah. New Zealand and oh my David said well you know geez England scored two tries and almost beat them and he goes yeah oh my smart <laughs> <laughs> and he's right yeah you know that, the game I have to say like we've we've led against um New Zealand by, I think, 21-3 or 22-3 in the past in 2013 and lost. And New Zealand can climb back from a big deficit, as they've done before. They've done before over a number of years. Um, but it, it's still, it still has to be disappointing from, from an English perspective. And what I don't... What I don't understand is their insistence over the last, and this is more of a criticism of the English rugby media, which I think is, you know, quite reflective of their rugby populace. They just want to blame, like a referee, or not accept, 
you know, in the in, for, for their narrow win against South Africa, it was like, oh, of course, Farrell's right, this is right. And then for their narrow loss against New Zealand, it was like, oh, he shouldn't have gone to the TMO. Like, Courtney Laws is offside. It is what it is. He is offside. Yep. Um, I have my objections to the use of the TMO in that circumstance because he only checks the offside line once in the game and that incident happens right in front of him. Yeah. But he did come to the right decision, so it's hard to call. Well, him. it's the same with when uh, when they went back uh, for Dan Levy grabbing a radiant rougery by the foot in Leinster's game in Lyon against Claremont two seasons ago, semi-final. I was like, the stuff happens Which all the time I in the game. But said it's to still- you, yeah. This, the kind of ambient level of cheating which should be allowed. Yeah, it's still cheating. Like, it's still... And we, and we talk about... But the same player was involved in just just two incidents of sloppiness. Like, Corny Laws, he was on the last Lions tour. Like, he's played for England since... Like, was, he, was he been, like, eight, eight years? Seven or eight years, yeah. Seven or eight years a test player. Like, Corny Laws is... Like, he knows what he's doing. And he was offside. And then... He decided to throw a pass as you said. Oh said, yeah, 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 yeah. Tipping rain, Ooh. and England had been keeping between the fifteens, and Farrell had dropped in the pocket, and Courtney decides to force a basketball pass after they've gone through like fifteen to twenty phases of constructing a drop goal. So like this, it wasn't like they were trying to force the game and chase seven points. They needed to get a drop goal, and I just looked at it. I went, Mister City. Because I'm reading a lot of Mr. Men books. I was just there thinking, like, what are you doing, Mr. C? <laughs> and that, that sort of decision-making from a senior player, you have to question where they're going with that. Martin that's, Johnson. Like, what was Martin Johnson going to do with that? That's a great point. Yeah, That's a really good point. He is a senior player. There's a tendency with... Yeah, when you're when you're older than all the players as we are now, then you don't you don't. I certainly don't see many of them. Like I'd see, for example, Bestie and Sexton as senior players, but like there's you forget that guy's sort of age as well. And like Laws, I'll always see him as a bit of a young Tyro, but he has he probably has seventy caps now. Um, that's crazy decision. The things that England did well in the first twenty minutes, bash it up. I couldn't help but notice that they have. I think Underhill was brilliant and nearly the man of the match. Mm. Uh, and deserve, <laughs> his finish for the try was so good. Even oh, though it was, um, but they they don't England don't try and steal the ball at all. And I, I may think maybe the weather conditions is something to do with that because when it's so wet, there's a lot of like you can kind of wriggle a lot on the ground, and you can get away with it a bit more. And it's hard to even to get your footing on when you had to try and be low in the jackal. But it didn't seem to be a part of the game, whereas Ireland and Argentina were at it the whole time. Yeah, well, this is something we talked about before, so just to briefly recap, the Premiership has instructed their referees not to, they don't like enough, a very long, messy contest on the ground. They like the ball to be in play and sides retain the ball a lot. So that's how Premiership players are coached. English team has only picked from Premiership players Ergo, English Premiership players don't have as much practice in playing the same laws as everyone else. The laws, the laws that they play are exist. It's all in a case of interpretation. But against that, their referees interpret it in a strange way in which they don't have any other co-interpretees, so to speak, in mm-hmm. the international game. So they're at a slight disadvantage. Um, a conversation I was having with a friend 
just after the after the Ashton try, he texted me and said, "I don't fancy this New Zealand team." And I said, "Really?" And um, his the rationale he explained to me, which I think was I sort of agree with, uh, is that a lot of the team are past their best. Well, they're still excellent players. There used to be nine point fives out of ten, and now they're eight point fives out of ten. The players he named were Sonny Bill Williams, Ben Smith, Kieran Reid, both the second rows. He also thinks their fullback is too small. Um, do you think there's a lot of this, like New Zealand team, on the way down? I thought that the last time. <laughs> I I wrote an article about it. I think uh, silver-haired ferns or something, something like that. Um, Golden girls, <laughs> <laughs> and it 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 didn't affect them if anything. That was the best team ever. Their 2015 team. Yeah. Um, and I certainly, I mean, the, the two sec. I mean, the New Zealand's second row is excellent. Yeah. It's, it's just, I mean, Brody Retallick is like, what a, what a, what a wonderful rugby player. Yeah. And Sam Whitelock um, has overcome being the shit all black. Um, <laughs> but I think where they're, I've, I've never been convinced by Sam Kane. And I know he's got over 50 caps now. Um, like Marty Holla came up and played for the Ospreys and I was like oh man poor Marty Holla having to share his career at the same time as as, as Richie McCaw's New Zealand number seven and undoubtedly if like look how good Vic Vito is playing for La Rochelle so yeah. undoubtedly if Sam came, came up and played for Munster or played for Ulster we go wow Sam Kane is awesome but um, you know he's, he's following the feet of Richie McCaw and Michael Jones and Big boots to fill, Cronfeld. and Josh Cronfeld and Liam Squire is never but, done uh, but it for me. Like I had a brief discussion yesterday about Savea. I really think Artie Savea is like I think he's a super player and very difficult to play against. And I would, he was, he's a guy that I would pick ahead. Um, whether or not Sam Kane was available for selection, I would actually pick Artie Savea ahead of him. Um, I think Sam Kane is a very prototypical open side. Um, but I think Savea is he's a very difficult player to play against, a more difficult player to play against than Kane. Yeah, it's just Savea's never managed to convince the all black selectors, which mm. I which I found odd because um he's obviously captain of the twenties, but that sort of depends on your year. But uh, when he started playing provincial rugby, he was he was really good. That form yeah. carried on, and he was sort of a try scoring number seven that gave them a lot of options. But Hanson really likes Sam Kane um, and the Squire Liam Squire. And Liam Squire. This is really interesting. Yeah, like that fella is. They have the option of picking a Kiriwani, Ray Kiriwani's older brother who apparently had a significant disciplinary uh, issues as a younger senior pro to go put after his under 20s career. He was the be- he was the best under 20 I have ever seen, Akira Yoani. He was just outstanding. And I couldn't understand how he wasn't fast-tracked immediately into the, the All Blacks, but he wasn't. And then Rico Yoani came in, and now like, Akira Yoani is all your man. He's Yoani's older brother. Like... I don't know what the equivalent is. Johnny Drama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, tough. But uh, Akiriwani is... 
still a player of just outstanding physical ability and how Squire gets the nod in as this nuts and bolts six sort of I can't think of I'm just going through the, the all black sixes like going back quite a distance like going back to Andy Earl Alan Alan Wetton Andy Earl uh, Tane Randall there was that one guy from uh, from Canterbury whose name can't quite think of at the moment Ruben Thorne yeah I never really rated him but he's very like Liam Squire I think <laughs> But David, like six has always been such a strong position, and Liam Squire was uh, was whipped off fairly fairly quickly in the second half, and they brought on um, Scott Barrett, the second row to play at blindside, who did a far improved job. He looks, I don't think he's he's not a guy you'd ever mistake for an out and out six, but in the conditions, he was a an outstandingly able substitute. Yeah, New Zealand have surprised me with how good they've been since 2015 because the last Tank Carter, the last Richie McCaw, and Kevin May, you know, and then they sort Matt of lost, like what were really secondary players after those two. Mm. Yeah, the three guys that you named there, and didn't seem to halt them at all. No, it didn't. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. You've lost the two best players of the professional era, probably two of the best players of all time. Probably the two best players of all time. There has to be a significant drop, and yet no. But, um, and, like, you know, Tony Woodcock is 100 caps. He's gone as well. Jesus. Um, so, you know, at some stage, there has to be a drop. Um, I don't know if that was it at Twickenham. Yeah, I don't they're, think they'll be that bad again. I don't think, I think England got a good shot at them, or we won't get as good a shot at them. Like, I fully expect that New Zealand will beat Ireland on Saturday. Um, I agree um, and I think it's even like I think it's even sort of a bit weird that we go in with any expectation of not I, I don't know maybe no we're second in the world and it's a home fixture for us you know we've got a, a shot um, yeah true but I don't expect us to win I just don't do you expect any uh, changes to the all black side Oh, but yeah, Sonny Bill's yeah, out. Yeah, Sonny Bill is out. Yeah, I didn't expect Sonny Bill to play against England in the first place. Mm. I don't know if he's going to pick Mackenzie a fullback. Yeah. Um, I I don't know how he views this fixture. I don't know. Um, England kicked an awful lot at Mackenzie, and it was wet. And but it just it gave them that real focus. And Underhill got Mackenzie so often. And Mackenzie's really elusive, but. Um, he's really small if you hit him he's really small yeah. and you sort of think to yourself ooh would you kick that much to Ben Smith do you want to give Ben Smith that many opportunities to counter attack um, so I don't know if he I don't know if he'll do that uh, and then like one of the I can't remember did we have this conversation or did this conversation with somebody else what happens if you pick uh, Mwanga at out half and play Bowden at fullback like what does that give you that gives you two playmakers. Mm. Um, it's funny that you should say about Ioanni being the best under twenty. I remember Bowden Barrett playing under twenty. He was, he was, he was awesome. Obviously, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's awesome playing seniors. Mm. Uh, but he played fullback for that team. Um, maybe, maybe he played for two years. Uh, I don't think they'll do that. 
but New Zealand being New Zealand, like they they, they do. can play Jordy Barrett at fullback. Yeah, yeah. But I just I just think the idea of playing Bowden Barrett, who's the best player in the world at number ten for the last two years, that you could even consider moving him, mm. um, and it might strengthen your team is crazy. But it is possible. I'm not saying that they definitely do it, but I'm, I just think that if you start a Moanga in a match, he he'd bring something very different. And I think I think he's very good. And like, who wants to kick the ball in Barrett? Can you imagine kicking the ball in Barrett and Ben Smith? Like, just don't kick the ball. Like, what you? Good luck. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is but it's a really interesting wrinkle. It's a really. I don't know is the answer what changes there are to be made. Um, Aside from the injury in force one Crotty for Sonny Bill Williams. Um, I think Ben Smith, it's sort of dependent a little bit on the weather, but I would look at moving Ben Smith back to fullback if I was Steve Hansen. And playing Naholo or someone on the wing. Yeah, the Naholo's like shredded <laughs> Ireland before. Another brilliant winger. You know, he has absolutely yeah. shredded us before. Uh, Yoani's a given. I think Jack Goody's a given. Like there's, in my opinion, like the, a lot of the team selects itself. I can't see him starting with uh, three second rows like the Argentines did. I just don't think that's realistic for um, for Steve Hansen that he's never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think I don't think we're going to see a very a particularly. Uh, I don't think there's going to be many surprises in selection at all. I think they're going to be two teams that both coaches select really is what they view as their strongest team and my my concern for ireland and I, we didn't talk about this yet is uh the black triangle black rectangle johnny sexton cannot kick from a certain oh, part of the pitch yeah he he looked to all the world certainly the way he hit the ball as a high handicapper golfer with about five swing thoughts on his on his first conversion attempt it was an appalling kick and he just keeps on missing important kicks from from that area of the pitch. right hand side it's actually 15 yeah. it's actually a thing so i the, the reason that comes to mind block, yeah yeah he oh, just he has an outside to in kind of kick that he usually goes for on those ones and it just didn't turn he's got an outside to out from that <laughs> part of the pitch it's just it it's a thing now well, bowden barrett can't kick shit off a rope yeah, but like you, you see Sexton strike it from elsewhere in the pitch and even further out in the right, and he's a super place kicker. Yeah. But it is. I know why you're reminded of that, certainly. Yeah. But that 20, 2013, 2013 kick. Yeah. Well, sorry, they, they, uh, the BBC, no, so the Sky coverage of the um, the New Zealand, England New Zealand test match, they showed Bowden Barrett. And in those, not out from the touchline where he, he usually seems to nail them, the inner. Like yeah, so the kicker's box. Inside space, whatever. The just, dotted lines. Yeah. In the between, tens in and the, the lines, 15s. Not in yeah. between the posts. And he's below average in both on both sides in there. And like average is like 77% or 75%. And he's on 70 or 69% in those ones, which mm. I, I was surprised at how low it, how low his stats were. Yeah, but he, he hasn't been kicking well for... Okay, with two more questions about this game. Okay. What kind of game do you think, what kind of rugby match do you think it'll be? Um, I think it'll think be very really close good. to the, the test that we played 
in Lands on Road rather than the test we played in Chicago. I think it's going two years ago. Yeah, was it nineteen nine? It finishes maybe nineteen nine. Yeah, I think it's going to be extremely physical, um, and a lot of bludgeoning and softening up, and then probably split by probably one score at the end to in New Zealand's favour. The question mark for Ireland. because I agree, I think it'll be similar to the 2016 match. And Graham Henry talked on the rugby side. He was in California. He wasn't coaching New Zealand at that stage. And he referred to that match playing against Ireland. And interesting that Ireland was on the radar, you know, two years. Understandable that we'd beaten them. But um, he talked about how clinical New Zealand were and how switched on they were. And he talked about the amount of try scoring opportunities that Ireland had created for themselves and the, the way they just couldn't finish them. Like dropping ball, I think you know Shawnee dropped on something the line out move, mm. yeah, on the Came line out the back, move. Yeah. But Ireland pretty engineered five try scoring opportunities. Did we even score one? I don't think we scored. No, no, it was two, two pounds. Score one. We got nine. Yeah. Um, whereas New Zealand were ruthless. Odin Barrett scoring that one off the off the scrum. Yeah, it's just like, oh yeah. By the way, I'm quicker than a fucking sprinter. See you later. I'll see you later, and, lads. And, and then Sexton tried to kill him at the end of it. So the, the, the curious thing for Ireland is, can they be more ruthless? Can they be more effective? And you know, without Connor Murray, without Robbie Henshaw, it's it's yeah. it's difficult to see because for as much depth as we sort of convinced we set, you know, we we certainly have more than we had mm-hmm. in previous seasons but for us to lose two guys like that is a lot I to worry. overcome I worry about that um, five yard ruthlessness as well because a lot of our tries in the Six Nations were scored from having created some excellent piece of play and then bashing and then over just bashing it over yeah. and in particular I watched the highlights of the Wales game the again the Wales game was full of it which was like also Jesus forgotten how great a game that was and how like it all came down to the last second um, but yeah we bludgeoned over from very close in well we bludgeoned and we also scalpeled our way over like yeah true Stockdale's first try was an absolute scalpel from five metres out we, we, we had a we had different interpretations of the the, the Bundyaki try that I thought that Ireland had willingly or had purposefully yeah. generated quick rook ball I, for two, I, rooks, two rooks in a row whereas you thought it had been kicked through by I just didn't. I, I didn't know if it had been nudged through or if it had been slapped backwards by accident because when, that was the thing that we were talking about earlier when Lavanini went through Marmion yeah. the ball had come out at quite a distance from the back of the rook and Marmion is, instead of like skidding down on the ball like you would expect he bent over and it must have looked to Avalini like all oh, this Christmas is coming because he absolutely. Like it was one. I didn't think Marmion was going to get up because it was one of those impacts where he hit him in the back and his mm. his, his whole back arched backwards. He'd been hit so hard, but then Lavanini had clearly come out of a line and Bundyaki just picked it up and scooted through Materas, mm. tackling in. But sorry to get back to your point. It was it about the quickness of the the release or the depth of the? The place, yeah. That w- I think that once you get to that uh, to that area of the pitch, if you can get quick ball, quick ball, quick ball, s- there'd be a gap somewhere, and it, it, it like it won't even be that far out. It'll be a pass or two out, and it doesn't have to be a long pass. Like it'll, it'll just there'd be a gap. Excuse me, and I think it's what um, 
I think it's what England manufactured against New Zealand. Like when you said all the players went one side, they dragged um, Mackenzie over and they they wanted to get an opportunity for, well, either Johnny May or Chris Ashton. It happened to be Chris mm. Ashton. But I mean, like, they're England's, you just knew Ashton was going to finish that. Mm. There was no doubt. No, not at all. Like he was never dropping it. He was never getting tackled. He was never getting held up. I mean, Chris Ashton is a ruthless professional rugby finisher. He's an assassin. Mm. Has has been since he came over from Wigan. Was when he was at Wigan. He's he's a great try scorer. Yeah, he's a super try scorer. Um, and I thought that I'm surprised how effective sometimes that pick and jam stuff is because it's actually it's pretty easy to defend in a lot of ways. Like if you're just if you're just willing to get lower and come off the line really quick, it's kind of hard to touch the ball down. Mm-hmm. Like you just put your arms underneath it. If you're a tackler, just just steal lowness. Yeah, because like and they, if, it they comes, to, if there's any question, just lie on top of the ball so they're, the they're, TV like, can't see it. They have to pick it up. You don't. You like yeah. just just steal the ground from them. Um, whereas if they repeatedly get quick ball, if, sorry, if you're defending, they repeatedly get quick ball and and, they're and they able, ask you a different question each time. Bob Dwyer was big on that. Yeah, you know when you have the ball. You make the decisions, so ask a different question of the defense each time. So maybe you, you do do two quick do do, you do quick two quick picks, mm-hmm. and then you say, okay, now we're going to go two out, mm-hmm. or we're going to do a screen pass. And, you know, we'll keep it close so their forwards know exactly where they're going. But this is like the idea that Joe Schmidt has when they when they do killer is not that they just try and injure each other like playing rugby league before a senior cup. <laughs> it's that they know what they're doing. When they're in this two-minute drill inside the ten meters from yeah. inside the post, and Dean's was big for this when he coached Australia was that they might attack the same spot like three times in a row uh, of just punch, 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 punch. But they look to move it like it was. They're looking to probe, but everything. You're, like you're not just looking to recycle for the sake of recycling. Like you're looking to see can you score, and if you can't score. It can comes you, back quickly. Yeah. And you just hit the same spot again and again mm-hmm. and again. Can but you drag people speed, to the same spot? Like the speed of how of how you do it is the question. So if Ireland can if Ireland can play, we'll manufacture chances. Uh, I think we'll pick Toner. I think we'll have a really strong set piece. Um I think we'll manufacture in the twenty two. If we can score tries from that sort of ten yard drill, we could win. But the lack of Murray and Henshaw, yeah, unlikely. I I just you one last question. Think, did you say the second question? Uh, before I get to that, I was. Uh, I'm not one of those people, um, who's like, oh, the All Blacks are such a big bunch of cheats. Because I realised a few years ago that it was much more fun to watch an All Blacks game. Going, Jesus, aren't they amazing? And they're my second favourite team in world rugby. But it did see them give away six penalties in a row against Argentina in their own 22 during the rugby championship. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. why I don't think... And it's the same thing, as I said in previous podcasts, that the tackle rules won't change until they start carding all blacks. And if Wayne Barnes is listening, because we know his wife likes the podcast, <laughs> if Wayne Barnes is listening and he wants to start dishing out cards for even borderline tackles, then maybe we can win. Otherwise, I don't think it's happening. My, other question, my other question was, which hacker are they going to do? Oh, good I hope question. they do Kamate. Yeah, the classic. Yeah, I think they do the classic Kamate. I don't they, think they did uh, the other one last week. The Capo Banger. Yeah, it I reckon the Kamate. The Kamate is a classic. The Russ Petty put up a stat. Kudos to the amount of work went in it, but um, 
Ireland give away very few penalties with Wayne Barnes refereeing. Yeah, we typically give away very few penalties last in general, and mm. last week was weird. And I know that guy was on his first international. I I felt, he, he, he was all right, but I felt it was a bit well. of like I'm gonna impress. And like he gave away, or like we gave away penalties for an early tackle that Peter O'Mahony kind of hit the wrong guy in a, in a move. And it was like, it probably was a penalty, but like... It was a penalty. But like, a lot of, you know, they had the ball and they kept on going. It was like, a lot of times it just gets ignored. But he, yeah, was, but he was very strict on like... I thought, it, I thought he had a really, yeah. really good debut for an ex, um, an ex player referee who sometimes I think they get pushed up a little bit above their uh, ability levels. They just mm-hmm. get pushed too quickly because they're really... You know, they're, they're really fit and they're, they're well known. Because, yeah, huge guns. <laughs> Ed Hoskily of the uh, of rugby. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we'll wrap it up there. I uh, hope Ireland uh, can win the belt off New Zealand at the weekend. Oh, yeah. Mr. Silly lives in Nonsense Land, which is a very funny place to live. You see, in Nonsense Land... Everything is as silly as it can be. In Nonsense Land, the trees are red and the grass is blue. Isn't that silly? In Nonsense Land, dogs wear hats. And do you know how birds fly in Nonsense Land? No, they don't fly forward really is a very silly place indeed. Which, of course, is why Mr. Silly lives there. Mr. Silly, in fact, lives in quite the silliest-looking house you've ever seen in your whole life. Have you ever seen a sillier-looking house than this?